Welcome back to That Recruiter Show, everybody, with David and Rodney. Um, hope everyone had a, had a wonderful holiday weekend, and I know we did and are excited to have you back. So, you know, with that, I, you know, I will turn it over to David because I am excited about quite a few things today, not just our topic, but we've got something special planned. We, we do indeed, Rodney. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, so we're, we're changing it up today a little bit. So I know that you, that you guys have been listening to, to Rodney and I, maybe more than you care to, but uh, <laughs> what we'd like to do now is break that up a little bit. And so what we have today is a very special guest, um, someone that, that Rodney and I know well, that I would like to introduce to you, um, Willa Marcon. Uh, we worked with her at Amazon. And uh, what I'd like to do, though, is turn it over to her to talk a little bit about her background, and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about. Awesome. Well, thanks, David. Thanks, Rodney. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you guys. And uh, yeah, excited to chat today. Um, so yeah, my name is Willow Marcon. Uh, I've been in the recruiting industry for quite some time. Uh, we get to that point where we don't want to say the year anymore, right? <laughs> I'm there. Absolutely. We're there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've been in a few different industries. Um, the last 10 years or so have been in big tech. So Google and Amazon and uh, about to embark on my new uh, next journey uh, in the recruiting world, focusing on recruiting and HR. So that'll be starting soon. So that's exciting to me. Um, but I've been kind of all over the place. I've lived in Paris, uh, spent time in San Francisco, New York, uh, kind of been all over the world and uh, returning back to New York uh, now. So that's very exciting for me and my family. So that's just a little bit about myself. Wonderful. Thank you, Willow. Um, and the topic that we want to discuss today is pretty near and dear, I think, to a lot of people, um, whether it's something you're dealing with today, whether it's something that you have dealt with or will be dealing with, when you get into um, certain roles, particularly leadership roles, um, but but even even individual contributor roles play play into what I'm what, what the topic is, and that is is change and change management. And what we want to do today, though, is not not just talk about change and change management in a in a kind of a broad nebulous way. We want to talk about it actually very specifically as it relates to Amazon advertising, where Rodney and Willow and I know each other from, um, because Willow joined uh, Amazon advertising before we did, and and she actually identified some some issues and things that I think uh, uh, everybody will probably it'll probably resonate with everybody. But I want her to talk about it because she embarked on a pretty monumental change mm -hmm. and a monumental change within a very large established name brand organization like Amazon, which as you can imagine, creates, I think its own, you know, considerable difficulties in getting anything done. And so uh, I think that, that talking about that hopefully will allow people to take away nuggets of, 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 you know, how do you navigate that? How, you know, how do you think about that? What are some of the lessons learned, et cetera. And so with that, I would just love to turn it over to Willow to talk about, you know, one, you know, how did she identify what she thought needed to be done? How did she start down that path? How did she build consensus? All of the things that you need to do to embark on any sort of, 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 of change. And so with that, Willow, I will turn it over to you. And if you could just give us some context and, and all that good stuff, that would be, that'd be amazing. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I guess to put the time frame in mind, so we're talking about summer 2021, right? So big tech uh, is growing rapidly. Uh, the pandemic uh, is still in full swing. Um, people are moving increasingly towards 
shopping online, moving their lives online. And so tech companies are trying to keep up with that that real demand from consumers and, and are growing rapidly. So this is kind of the, the stage where we are in recruiting, where when I joined Amazon, we were just about to get our, our hiring numbers for the next year. And what we did know, they were going to be big. Uh, we're supporting large tech organizations that are growing rapidly, doubling, more than doubling in size year on year. Um, and we wanted to make sure we had the right team in place, the right processes in place to really do that. Um, so when I join Amazon, what I do when I join any new company is you really go on that conversation road tour, you know, really get to know everyone. What What's going well? What, what kind of challenges are each individual facing, the different leaders, whether it's leaders or recruiters on the team, the different, uh, you know, sister teams we may partner with? What, what are these kind of challenges? Um, and one of the things I discovered really early on was the teams were fragmented. Uh, they didn't have that collaboration that you really need in a large kind of siloed recruiting organization to really hit really big hiring numbers that we were going to have to hit. So we really needed to look at the team structure. Um, from a cultural standpoint, I'm heavily influenced by my time at Google, um, kind of the really um, established leadership style that's there, which is the servant style leader. And um, for, you know, experienced leaders, we know, you know, different leadership styles really apply to the individual you may be coaching or working with our team. Um, but the servant style leadership style really works best when you have a really highly motivated, really highly skilled team. So you can be that leader that really kind of enables the space for people to, to really rise up and, and, and challenge themselves and come up with kind of new innovations and, and really feel that psychological safety to take risks and try new things. So I knew that was really going to be essential because uh, we needed a team that could really hire in a programmatic way. And for those people in the recruiting world, that really means creating programs that can really scale hiring and, and really bring in really big hiring numbers in a really efficient way. It's kind of like building a recruiting machine. We need recruiters on the team to really look at these interesting challenges we had. We had a very complex team supporting dozens of job families across the world. Um, so many different types of businesses. It was a really complex operation we're running, and we really needed to get people collaborating. We needed to get people uh, innovating uh, on the processes and, and what we're doing. Did uh, you, we find, need, really needed, did you yeah. find like any any kind of culture shock when you came in from Google, though? You know, coming in from a servant servant style leadership into Amazon, was there adjustments that that had to be made either on your part or with Amazon as you as you did that and started really transitioning into that role? Yeah, certainly. Amazon doesn't have a kind of um, prescribed leadership philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. Amazon is very much um, kind of tribal, I, I found, in kind of the, the way leaders kind of operate. And it really depends on the leader you have as to what style you may be kind of encountering. So um, that certainly was a big change for me uh, to navigate. Maybe you have more directorial or authoritarian or maybe very hands-off. It's kind of a mishmash of styles, which I think can be challenging mm -hmm. uh, when you have multiple teams working together. So that was certainly uh, a challenge for me. But, you know, what I uh, found um, to be true at Amazon and, and, you know, previous companies is really it's about communication um, and, and just continuing that constant communication, constant collaboration to keep everyone on the same page. So, you know, we're embarking on a journey. Everyone has to agree that this is kind of the direction we're going and to bring people on that journey with you. So I think, you know, when you're dealing with any kind of large change in organization, if 
you're doing it on your own, it's not going to be successful. Everyone has to really be bought in uh, to the change you're, you're trying to make. So that was something I did very early on is really telling the story why this change we needed to make within our team, um, you know, how it helped the sister teams. You know, if we're working together and we're hitting our hard numbers and we're operating in this way, we're all going to be successful and we're ultimately going to be, you know, Amazon, one of the, the main tenants is customer obsession. And our customer were the businesses we're trying to double in size mm -hmm. in a year. Um, in order to do what they really needed, we needed to, you know, kind of put these changes into place. And so Did you with that, we're, I'm we're sorry, on the same I keep page. interrupting. I'm sorry. I but you know, knowing, ha having been there, and, it, and it's just interesting, like, did you have to overcome pushback, either from the sister teams, or even, you know, the verticals that you were supporting? I mean, th that was a, that's a big organization. And, you know, you're coming in with, with a pretty, you know, set uh, change management structure, right? Um, did anyone just kind of, I don't want to say out and right resist you, but just kind of say, I don't, I don't know about this. Well, I think that's one of the benefits of, I think, Amazon's writing culture comes into play. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very odd thing at Amazon. You have these large monthly business reviews. It's, you know, every meeting starts a lot of times with reading this elaborate paper. But what that allows you to do is convey all the nuance, all the data, mm -hmm. the arguments, all different sides of the arguments. Um, and I found that was really helpful and just kind of getting a lot of information. Um, but that's what I found. Once you present your argument, uh, you've had you've done your due diligence with conversations, right? You understand the different sides that may oppose that viewpoint, what they need and what their challenges are. And if your solution really is helping them and addressing those challenges as well as the business goals, it's hard to say no to that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So that's really kind of what the approach was. And um, I think by having that kind of, initial conversation roadshow and really getting to know everyone and the dynamics, it really helps in a large organization to make big change. Um, Cause you're really, again, bring everyone along for the ride with you. Um, and, and that's really what it takes to, to, to make those big changes, I think. And having, you know, having been there and, and David jump in, but I think one thing mm -hmm. that, that we kind of assumed because we were there, we knew you, um, you know, we saw your style, but I, I, what I don't think is strong in our industry is the level of, of data-driven argument. You know, when you talk about, you know, having that, that communication with people, I, I think in the TA industry, we, we tend to see people who, who either use, you know, data that's standard data, time to fill, things like that, rather than kind of the heavy analysis that, that I saw you really kind of use in, in, in the conversations that you had. You know, what would you say to someone, you know, at a at a smaller company who who wants to make that argument, but isn't as comfortable with the data? Yeah, um, well, I think it's it's kind of a muscle. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of recruiters were in this business because we're people people. We're not, right. you know, not necessarily math people. Maybe some of us are. No, Rodney, you're, <laughs> you're great <laughs> at the data and, and everything, um, but not for everyone. Right. So mm -hmm. it tends to be a muscle we all have to learn how to, um, you know, strengthen. So, you know, for, you know, smaller companies, it's about just starting to accumulate the data and have some insights. Cause I think we all have hunches, mm -hmm. which oftentimes may be right, but oftentimes they're not. Um, and when you're approaching, especially an engineering minded person, like we support in big tech, um, they're less interested in your hunches yeah. <laughs> or what you think may be true. They really want to see the numbers and um, you know, when I was leading data science recruiting at Google, um, our business leaders were the, you know, 
that invented the field of data science. You know, it's nothing more intimidating that, than presenting data <laughs> to the people that created the field of data science. But what I learned there was really simple data can be very powerful, mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of people, when they get into data, they just show too much and it's so complicated and no one really understands what they're showing. But if you could really distill it down to those key points and pieces of data that are really impactful, um, you know, you're gonna really help your argument. So I think, you know, keep it simple for folks that are just kind of new to really having a, um, um, approach using numbers and, and data to back up what mm -hmm. they're saying. And, and, and always, you know, when you're going in to present data, I always think the question I always think first is what do they care about? What are they going to ask me before I even get into the meeting with all these numbers? Mm -hmm. um, and be prepared for that too, because a lot of times we think we know the problem, but it, we have to really think about what, what that um, business partner or person we're presenting this argument to actually cares about and being prepared for that as well. So I think that's another thing to just kind of be prepared for more than maybe the numbers that you're thinking about. Yeah. And I would say this too, Willow, and this is something that I actually saw at Amazon, but I've seen in other companies as well is um, there are also going to be people that no matter what data you present to them, no matter how powerful that data is and the story that it tells, even if whether it's simple, complex or otherwise, there are people that resist. And I think that it, you know, in, and as it relates specific to some of the meshing of the teams at Amazon, I'll go back to what you said earlier too about the tribal. Um, there are some people that um, are are pretty ensconced in what they were doing, and I think that you know one of the things that you navigated well, and I think a, a lot of us that came on later helped navigate pretty well is some of that resistance. Um, and it, it, because again, I'm trying to I'm trying to be a little bit nebulous here, but um, the, the, again, there was there was resistance, so just be aware. To anybody out there listening, that you you also need to understand what's motivating people at at, at the most sort of like primal level, um, and what it means like and what you're proposing because for some people it's a direct threat maybe to their what they're trying to do or in direct opposition to what they're trying to do and you will find people out there that are you know. Uh, what I will call, you know, sort of like, you know, kingdom builders, right? They want to build their little kingdom, manage that kingdom and not have anybody else have any say in said kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. And and the minute somebody starts poking holes in their kingdom, they get uh, they, they get pretty upset. And that in and of itself can be a really, really challenging thing to navigate. But I think what what you did so well was you built a coalition of other leaders that were in in agreement with the direction that you were proposing myself being one of them right and so uh i think that's where you know you can help overcome some of that resistance with people uh when you can build the right coalition and maybe get around some of those what i'm going to say are more feelings-based sort of responses versus logical data-based kind of responses so uh because you, you can never take the people out of this right um, and you can never assume that people are being logical, people are being fair-minded, because that's not always the case. You know, even even at a at a place that I think you know, that, like like an Amazon, where you like to believe that you've got the best and the brightest, and in, and you do in many ways, but but you cannot take the humanity out of it for some of them, and mm -hmm. you always have to consider that as you're as you're moving along the change curve, if you will. Yeah. And well, there's a there's a stylistic component to that, too. And and I think I don't I'm mm -hmm. going to sing Willow's praises here because, you know, I, I've 
been in some of those meetings where just kind of, you know, you run into engineers who poke holes and stuff for sport. And I, I think there's a, there's a stylistic um, component of Willow style. And when she runs a meeting to where she doesn't take that bait necessarily. And, and I think that's something that if you're coming up in your career and you're meeting with high level, higher level folks, it can be, you know, disconcerting to be in that room. And then all of a sudden you brought this data and they start poking holes in it. And how many times have you seen someone kind of get defensive on it and start litigating? Right. And mm -hmm. so many times, like, you know, Willow's just kind of the queen of cool and just kind of goes with it and says, okay, understood. We're, we'll take that offline and, 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 you know, we'll address it. And, you know, I, I remember I've, I've said a few times, I'm like, how did you just like keep your cool <laughs> in that meeting? Um, but I think that's a, that's an important component when you're presenting that kind of data uh, is, is being prepared and, and being able to kind of take that kind of feedback or even if someone's trying to poke holes in it um, and, and react in a way that's, that's still constructive to your argument. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great point, Rodney. I think, um, that's anytime you're presenting data, you're opening yourself up to mm -hmm. really any kind of question right. <laughs> about that data, whether it's a question you have an answer to or not. And I think one thing that people should feel very comfortable doing in meetings, if you don't have the answer, just saying that. I don't have the answer, but mm -hmm. I'll get that for you. Because um, a lot of times those questions can be, um, you know, a rabbit hole. And it really sidetracks the meeting and it takes away from really the point of that time that everyone's putting into that that meeting at that moment. So um, I think getting comfortable saying, I'm not sure, I'll find out the answer and then actually coming back with it after. So you can't just say, I'm gonna get the answer and never come mm -hmm. back. That's how you lose credibility. But if you actually do come back, I mean, that's the kind of trust building that happens. And people like to hear that. A leader wants to know that if someone doesn't know something. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes when someone's pretending to know. So I think that's a really kind of powerful thing. I think people need to get comfortable with over time how to, how to actually uh, do that in a way where you're building credibility. Um, even if you may not always have the answer, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's so important, building credibility when you're trying to implement that kind of change. It's, um, you know, I, I couldn't, if I could quote, emphasize, put it in bold and in italics, you know, as, as a point of what we're trying to say when you're, when you're trying to embark in that kind of change, you know, building that credibility rather than trying to litigate it, um, like in real time you can really, again, you get sucked into a, a rabbit hole or you get drawn into an, a, a totally, an argument that you just don't need to have <laughs> with a leader. Um, so I, and I loved, I learned a lot from you watching you kind of handle those kind of things. And David as well. I'm, you guys are smooth, if I may say. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> One, one of the other things that I, I would also say too, and Rodney, I, I, I agree with that and will have 100% agree with, with, with your approach. And I, I think though that it, it, and maybe it's, it's, I think it is a learned skill, no matter how you're feeling inside too, by the way, mm -hmm. that keeping your cool in a meeting and not getting drawn into unnecessary arguments is something that, that everybody has to practice. And, and I think a couple of ways you can think about that. One is as you're presenting the data before you present it, do your best to anticipate any questions that could possibly come up and be prepared to answer them. But, you know, you may get one you don't know, and that's fine. Um, and you handle it as Willow described. And, and typically, that's actually a fine answer, by the way. Um, you know, but also, don't present more data than you need to. 
give them, particularly when you're starting to talk about engineers, give them the minimal amount <laughs> of data that you need to give them to try to get across whatever point or, 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 or change or whatever it is that you are trying to, to do. Because if you open the can of worms, they will dive in a lot of times. And then it, it, in it, sometimes it can be very difficult to get a lot of folks that are, that get sidetracked by data back on course. And so try to keep it to just the minimum that, that, that you need to give them. And, and I know that Amazon and I saw this where, you know, we would, we would prepare documents. And I think that it was a, it was a learning process for all of us for, for a time and some data was presented and I did open cans of worms. And I think that we learned like, all right, well, wait a second, maybe we need to call this back a little bit and provide them more with what they're asking for. And that was the other side of it is they typically had an ask, or even if they didn't ask the right question, you had to think about what underlying thing are they trying to get to and then come back and construct whatever it is that you're presenting in such a way that it, it, it scratches that itch only. Um, but also again, gets across what, what you're hoping to get across to them. And, and then another thing, and this, this, I didn't see a lot of this at, at Amazon, but I've done this in my past is little coalition buildings, kind of meeting before the meeting. So if you have mm -hmm. an ally, uh, like a, a leader ally within the group of people that you're going to be talking to, go to them first, talk to them a little bit about what you're, what you're thinking about, what you're going to present and and build a little bit of that coalition with them because then you'll find when the meeting happens now you've got an ally in the meeting and that person will help you steer it should it start to get sidetracked because now you're talking about like i'll just use the engineer case you have an engineer that has some familiarity with already with what you're presenting and they can help with their peer group of engineers and and keep, help keep things on track that was something that that i learned that worked incredibly well in the agency world at caa um, those people are masters at building coalitions and, and getting people on board with things like I've never seen in my life. And so, um, I learned a lot from them on how to do that and it takes some time, takes some effort. But when you're starting to talk about something big, especially that is the absolute best way to do it. And it's one of those things. Somebody gave me this advice one time, a real high level project manager. He said, nobody remembers if things happen on time but they all remember if they get screwed up. And mm -hmm. so, um, so even if it might take you a little bit more time or if you have to push a meeting a week, those kinds of things like matter more than the timelines sometimes. Right. And so that's something else that I, would, that I would encourage people to think about as they're moving along any sort of project or change is to make sure that, that they've got the I's dotted, T's crossed, coalitions built, all those things, because it will absolutely make your process move a whole lot more smoothly and easily for you if you do that. That's a that's a fantastic point, and, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna kick that to you, Willow, because you know I think when anyone right, whether you're a leader or an individual contributor, you've got this idea you want to make a change in your head. You you want to have one meeting and everybody go, yes, this is the best idea ever. Let's do it. Never happens that way. And you know how did you kind of plan that or incorporate that into your change management plan? Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. I mean, I think uh, any meeting you're proposing a change, if you haven't had a meeting with everyone in that room one-on-one -on -one already mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> about that change, it's probably not going to work out. Um, so, 
yes, anytime you have a big meeting, you have to have a lot of meetings ahead of the meeting. But that, that sounds maybe frivolous, but it's really about consensus building mm-hmm. and kind of flushing out all the different perspectives around what could or could not work about that plan. So it's 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 not time wasted. It's around really fine tuning a plan that really works for everyone. And I think when you take that kind of time to have that level of conversation with with everyone in the room or all the people that are going to play a role in that change, it's going to be a, a longer term change. It's going to last a long time mm-hmm. versus if it's a one man show, maybe you're fixing one little aspect of the broader problem just because you don't have visibility on, onto all the the parts of, of what may be a part of that um, opportunity there. So, um, so absolutely. Um, lots of conversation. Um, so by the time you get to that meeting, you already know how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so there's really no risk in that meeting anymore because you've done your due diligence. Everyone knows that you're going to present. There's going to be mostly agreement or consensus at that point. And if you do have one dissenting voice, which you you know oftentimes you may, you'll have an overwhelming amount of support mm-hmm. that will be able to really counter what that that one argument maybe against the plan is. Great insight. And and I think what what you're illustrating is is a a mental discipline that people aren't really aren't always ready for when they come into a leadership role or if they if they're kind of in an individual contributor space and they're starting to get projects and things where they have to collaborate to get things done. I think you, a lot of times people don't have that mental discipline. They just kind of say, this is what we're going to do. Why doesn't everybody just want to do that? And it's, it frustrates them. And so mm-hmm. hopefully if anybody's listening, who's kind of ready to make that leap or they're they're doing it now, I think those little tricks are amazing. And I think we take for granted because we've been doing it for so long, but people who aren't there in their career, it's, it's you know, it tests their patience to do that. And it's, you kind of run into people like, why do I have to have all these meetings and things like that? But it's, it's the difference between getting it done and not getting it done. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Good. And then, and then, well, I wanted to ask you something else too, and this just pivoting a little bit, um, although still in this sort of change space is you're moving into your next role. And I know that um, you know, you you're you're actually moving from being a true talent acquisition leader into more of an HR leadership role, right? Which which I think is is something that I also wanted to bring out. And again, it's not exactly changed like we were just talking about, but but I think it's important, and I think that people out there can certainly learn from this because there are a lot of folks within the talent acquisition space that want to make that move over into more of a more of an HR type role at various points in their career, right? Maybe they're an individual contributor today and want to just be an individual contributor in HR or whatever. Um, but, you know, but you've done it now at a very high level. And I, I would love to, to know a little bit more how you thought about that and how you were able to make that pivot. Because I also think this is a great opportunity for people to hear how someone like yourself, you know, in a leadership role was able to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, for a lot of recruiters, you know, or, or anyone really at any point in your career, I think it's important to know what your goal is. And that goal is going to keep changing, but kind of what is that ultimate career goal? Um, whether it's five, 10 years, it's very hard to plan more than one year in advance, but let's just pretend, right? So, you know, where, where would I like to get in my career? Um, and I think it's really important to to have a sense for what that is, because what you can do is start getting sense for what, I'm, what am I missing to get there? <laughs> 
what do I need? Um, you know, what kind of mentors do I need? What kind of education do I need? Um, what kinds of varied career experiences do I need to have to get to that point? Um, and for me personally, you know, my goal has kind of changed over time as my career has gone, but I knew I wanted to be in different leadership roles and to get there, um, certain things needed to be in place. And, and for me, I've really spent the last 14 years or so building this career in recruiting in different industries, um, kind of growing the, you know, the types of teams I'm, I'm um, leading, but I knew I wanted to have kind of a broader uh, leadership role. And, and for that, you need different types of experience. So for me, I knew I, I wanted to incorporate different aspects of HR into my role and um, get beyond recruiting. I think when, when you're running large recruiting teams at places like Amazon, you have a lot of HR work mm -hmm. that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Even though you're still officially a recruiting leader, you are getting a lot, a really wide breadth of HR experience, but it's not on paper. Right. Sometimes when it comes to our resumes, what our titles are on paper hold a lot of weight. When we talk about people that are really good at what they do, you want autonomy, you want to be innovative, you want ownership, uh, you want collaboration. Uh, you want to work with other people that enjoy what they're doing every day. So how do you kind of you know, foster that type of culture? And I think being HR head of people, you start being able to have that kind of influence over culture and, and things that I think make people enjoy coming to work every day. So, um, so yeah, so that's for me kind of what I saw as next step and what I was hoping to find in my, in my next role. And, um, I'm excited that I think I found that. So I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. And congratulations, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're definitely lucky to have you Willow. And, and I think that, you know, what I, what I would, I would, I think this bears repeating is it's this idea that particularly as you've moved farther along in your career, so much of what you get to do is HR related. Even if your, your, your tasks are more recruiting related or, you know, or the strategy you're setting, you're still setting a strategy that impacts people in a big way. Mm -hmm. You know, you are still, you know, leading people, right? So no matter if you're an HR leader or talent acquisition leader, you're still leading people. Um, you know, so there are, so there's a lot of transferable stuff. And Roddy and I've had even had this discussion offline that, you know, because part of what we're even looking at in our business is this idea of, of maybe even broader HR consulting, you know, as we as we build up our client base, certainly we can we can help fill roles or, or, or you know, put contractors in place or whatever. But um, there's so much of what Roddy and I have done. And, and Willow, I, I know the same is true for you. When you sit in this TA leadership roles is you're also part of a broader HR leadership team. That And so you're constantly hearing about or even participating in different projects, different discussions mm -hmm. about where the broader people strategy gets to be taken. Right. And so to to anybody out there thinking about this, you know, just, you know, try not to think in a narrow way. Right. Think in a broad way. Think about all the different things that you've done and the transferable skills. And then one other piece of advice I would give to somebody particularly who's who's a little bit, um, you know, a, a less further along in their career is that. If you're a recruiter and you want to get into more of the HR space, take the opportunities that present themselves, meaning there might be a project on the broader HR team. Get involved with that. You know, raise your hand, be that person um, and also be vocal. Let your let your manager know that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this recruiting thing, but my broader career goal is to get into you know, an HRBP role or, or comp or whatever it is that you, that you want to get into so that, so that it's out there as well. You know, obviously you do that in the most tactful way because nobody wants to think that you're, you know, you're hating what you're doing, but at the same time, you know, those are things that will help you sort of broaden your aperture of skill 
and, and, and maybe help you get there. You know, I will, I will tell you, like, I don't, don't necessarily have any aspirations to be an HR leader. I like the recruiting space personally. Um, but I, uh, but I do love to have influence on culture and, have, and hopefully riding with our clients to have influence in how they can do things better, whatever that is, right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a process, whether it's a, anything involved that will make their people strategy stronger and uh, hopefully impact their culture in a positive way. And I think that we have the ability to do that. I know Willow has the ability to do that. And, and, you know, I'm very, very excited for her and her next role. Yeah. And well, there's, you know, I will jump on to, to everything that you said and, and emphasize that, but there's also an approach that Willow, you know, really described, which was heavy on introspection. And I, I think, you know, being introspective and, and leveraging your mentors to really take a look at, at kind of where you are in your career relative to where you want to be and, and really kind of taking a look at that gap and attacking those skill gaps that you may have is is so important. And I, you know, that's why I think someone like Willow is going to end up being, you know, she's going to be CHRO of Amazon one day. I mean, that's, you know, having those types of, of approaches that that we've talked about today. And and so what I would, would want to say to our listeners, if, you know, if you find yourself saying, I'm ready. I want this step back, talk to your, talk to your mentors and and really try to understand, am I ready? Do I have any gaps? Um, You know, if if I'm not doing, doing that job today, do I really think that I'm ready for that promotion or, or this other function? Um, And clearly, you know, that's something that you did, Willow, and and kind of attacked some of those things with your mentors. Um, but how many times have, have we leaders, you know, just run into people who just said, I'm ready, promote me, or, you know, I want that job. I've never done it, but which is, which is fine. I wish I had that, that level of confidence <laughs> in myself. Um, but, you know, my advice to people who are listening is, is always check yourself in that way and, and really, you know, take a look and, and, and be introspective about it and understand what your gaps might be. Yeah, Absolutely. I think everyone should have their board of directors in yeah, their life. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. You know, you have, you have your mentors, uh, you have the people, maybe friends or family members, maybe that's one, maybe it's mm-hmm. two, maybe it's none, but who knows you best, um, kind of knows what may make you happy. Um, but, you know, having career advisors, um, career coaches, people that can really ask the right questions to you. Um, is going to be really valuable. Um, and, you know, when you when you see a person that you want to be in their role someday, you know, make sure you're talking to them and understanding what what elements or what challenges did they face getting there? And what, what do you need to add to your own arsenal to, to get there? For me personally, I, I know I needed more degrees. I wanted certain certifications. There are certain things that you kind of build over time into your, into your resume to, to get you there. So when you're when you're ready for the opportunity, you'll, you'll be the first pick. So, um, so I always tell people, have your board of directors and make sure you consult with them. I love that concept. Now, and you went to LSU yeah. for your MBA. So I did, yeah. we play you guys first, first game of the season, FSU, LSU in Orlando. So go. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be calling you if we, if you lose. <laughs> oh man. All right. Good stuff. So great. Great. You know, I, I think, um, you know, Willow, I just have to say thank you for coming on. Um, it's, you know, I loved working with you and I think just getting a chance to chat again has been fantastic. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot to be learned here and I think we could probably go on forever. Um, 
but you know, hopefully people get a really good idea of, of what someone who's extremely good at change management does in that situation. And, uh, you know, just even along with, you know, how you transform your career, I think just in the brief time that we chatted, there's a lot of nuggets in there. Um, so we'll probably have to chop this up and <laughs> release it in, in different segments. We could probably have five chapters. What do you think, David? I, I think you're right. And, and uh, I, I do agree. And one, it's just truly, it's, it's just personally, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. Well, we haven't, we haven't chatted, you know, in a bit um, and having you on the show, you know, love that. And, and I agree with Rodney though. I think there's a lot of nuggets here that people can take as it relates to, you know, as it relates to how they can operate their career um, today. Maybe it's, maybe it is a change, maybe it is a project, but also thinking, you know, a little bit longer term about what they want to do in their career personally. And I think that's, uh, I think that's, that's really important. I mean, you know, if you're not, if you're not happy with what you're doing, um, at least most of the time, probably need to think about that and, and figure out what, uh, what you need to do next. But I think that, that this has been good and hopefully, hopefully people at, at, you know, whatever level they are in their career, will have a little something to take away from this. And so really, truly a pleasure. Will. thank you so much for sharing all of that today. We, we, I, we, we all benefit from it. Yeah, and, and best of luck in your new role. I think, um, oh, yeah. I personally expect big things from you. <laughs> oh, thank you so so much thanks for having me it was so so great talking with you both and yeah i miss working with you guys so yeah it's great to chat again. likewise likewise and everybody thank you for listening today um appreciate it and, and as always if you ever have any follow-up questions or, or want to get in touch with david and i just send us an email we're happy to respond or, or answer any questions you might have um you know outside of that hope you guys have a great week and thanks for listening to that recruiter show mm-hmm.